Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are talking about Parkinson's disease and specifically training clients with Parkinson's disease. So research supports that every nine seconds, a person is diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And as the number of people diagnosed increases, so does the demand for fitness professionals who have the tools to deliver effective, safe programming to meet the needs of these clients. So today I have a very special guest. Her name is Colleen Bridges. She is a Parkinson's disease fitness specialist. She even designed a course for MedFit on Parkinson's disease. And she basically, she has devoted her life's mission to Parkinson's disease clients. And I can't wait to have her on and hear what she has to say. So come on in, Colleen. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's really great to have you. So Colleen, tell us a little bit about your background in fitness and kind of what got you started deep diving into working with clients with Parkinson's disease. I love hearing people's fitness stories and their journey that got them where they are. Absolutely. Well, my my journey started off working with the what I call the general population. My clients wanted to be healthy and strong. And then all of a sudden, one day, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who'd just been diagnosed with MS. And she said, do you mind working with me? I, I would love to have a trainer. I, I know I need to exercise. And I said, you know what? I would absolutely love to work with you, but I'm actually not qualified to work with you. I am not familiar with all the ins and outs, the deep details of MS. And, and so do you mind if I take some time to study and to meet with my mentors? And she said, absolutely. So I actually took a couple of months and I went through a certification course. I met with my mentors. I visited with some local physical therapist and the neurologist that she was seeing at the time just to learn more about the disease. And then I, I said, okay, I think we can start because I'm always staying in touch with my mentors. And I think that's very important for, for all fitness professionals. Well, after working with her for several months, it was exciting to see the, the hope that she was experiencing, the changes that she was experiencing. She was dealing with a pretty severe foot drop and it was frustrating to her being a, a young mom and so forth. And, and so we began to see some really powerful changes through our exercise. And then the next thing I know, I'm getting calls from physical therapists. Hey, I've got a client with uh, stenosis or they're coming out of a, you know, rehab from a shoulder surgery. Can you work with them? And I found myself really enjoying the opportunity to work with these people who, who wanted to make sure that they could function at their best, whatever life might bring them. And the next thing I know, a friend of mine goes, I have a, a dear friend who was just diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Are you interested in working with him? And I said, yes. Once again, I said, I am not totally familiar with the disease and what all that means. So give me some time to research and study and, and take some classes. And so I did. And 15 years later, um, Mr. Fitzgerald is still my client. We still meet oh, wow. three times, yeah, three times a week. And 
obviously the disease, it is a progressive disease. So it has progressed some, but you know what? He still plays golf. He still plays tennis. He works out with me three times a week. He's big into photography and he's active in his community. And let me tell you, that brings a, a lot of hope to a lot of people. Well, you know, what I really um, appreciated hearing, Colleen, was that the first thing you said was, I don't have the tools yet. So you didn't turn the client away, but you basically said, my mission is to be the best possible trainer and to make sure that I have the tools to work with you. And in order to do that, I need to get knowledge and education. I need to work with my mentors. I heard you say you went to physical therapist. You talked to um, the person's physician. So I think that that's so important when we're talking about these types of conditions. I had um, Jonathan Ross on a couple of weeks ago, and you and I talked about this. We talked about Alzheimer's disease and, you know, May is Mental Health Month. And I feel like what ties into mental health and what ties into wellness is also these conditions that impact our body. When our body decides or, you know, we, we sometimes feel, I think that when people are diagnosed, they sometimes feel like their body betrays them. And mm -hmm. instead of lying down and giving up, and that's where the mental health comes in as well. Again, the mental health, the wellness, the physical health, it all goes together. And so I wanted to follow up from that after talking with Jonathan and Alzheimer's to talk to you about Parkinson's. Because they're different but related diseases and that they're both under the dementia category. But speaking of that, so Colleen, um, that's what I appreciate about you is that, you know, you've deep dived into this for 15 years. You have a really vast array of knowledge. So tell us about the epidemiology of Parkinson's disease, because I'm not sure that a lot of us can differentiate the different dementias. So tell, you know. Start with the epidemiology of Parkinson's. Sure, absolutely. So Parkinson's is the most common movement-related disorder, and it's actually called the snowflake disease because you'll never meet two people with the exact same symptoms. Now, by definition, Parkinson's disease is a progressive neurological disorder that predominantly affects the dopamine producing neurons in the substantia nigra. Now the substantia nigra is a part of the basal ganglia, so it's located in the midbrain. And what makes that so important is that these nerve cells become impaired or they lose their ability to produce an important chemical called dopamine. Now, dopamine is integral to movement. And I don't know if people are familiar with how significant dopamine is to our everyday life. Dopamine has excitatory and inhibitory characteristics. It's responsible for um, your body movement memory, cognition, mental focus, sleep, mood, uh, motivation. When you don't have enough dopamine, so if somebody, uh, and by the way, this is a good time to point out that when somebody's diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, they're, they're already losing, they're already at a loss of 70% of their dopamine neurons. That's pretty significant. That is but, pretty significant. Um, yeah, it is. But um, when you don't have enough dopamine in your body, it results in uncoordinated movements. However, if you have too much dopamine in your body, you'll notice dyskinesia. And a lot of people associate dyskinesia with Michael J. Fox, the inability to, you know, bring your body back into the, into the center. Um, and so Parkinson's disease to you and me is going to, the, what I call 
the ice, the part of the iceberg above the water, we're going to see uncoordinated movements, loss of balance, gait issues, postural issues, visual tracking issues. People forget that the eye requires dopamine. Um, and then you're also going to see rigidity, tremor, freezing of gait, facial masking, hypophonia, which is softness of voice, micrographia, which is when the writing becomes really, 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 really small, uh, proprioception issues, and the list goes on. But it's what's under that iceberg or under the water, the bottom part of the iceberg that is really significant. And I would just really encourage fitness professionals to study that part because it's what you don't see that's that's so important. It's that inability to focus on a task. Mm -hmm. It's the processing information. They can only take one to two cues at a time. Speaking of mental health, anxiety. 90% of people living with Parkinson's disease have um, a mental health issue and it's either anxiety or depression or both. And if they don't, most likely their care partner does. And so one of the things that I found really important to do in our program was bring on a mental health uh, counselor, a mental health therapist to our program so that she could walk them through this journey. And it's been just a pleasure to have her and she's made a lot of um, wonderful um, contributions to our program. So there's well, a lot that goes on. Yeah. And I'm glad that you see the connection because again, you know, it's mental health month and so much of when our body is going through different things, you know, you mentioned 90% of Parkinson's clients or patients have um, anxiety and or depression. And so there's a big link between mental health and what happens with our, um, with, you know, when we get a neurological disease. And so again, I'm talking to Colleen Bridges and she is a Parkinson's disease specialist. And we are talking about working with clients who have Parkinson's disease. And because of the vast number of those who are being diagnosed, this is a really powerful, powerful topic for fitness professionals, because when you can work with special populations like this, you can really carve a market if you have the heart for it and you have the education for it. And I think you can really carve a market for yourself. And Colleen, you mentioned some of the things that we would see as professionals, um, is gait. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of us know Parkinson's to be is, is differences in their gait, their ability to walk, their posture, the rigidity. You had mentioned the masking. So, you know, not as much facial expression. And so those were some really, really good ones. Um, so Colleen, let's talk about um, treatment options because you mentioned you've now had a client for 15 years. So it seems like the disease can progress fairly slowly, right? So That's let's right. talk about some of those treatment options. What, what are the treatment options for those with Parkinson's? That's a great question. And you know what, just like it's called the snowflake disease, because you're not going to meet anybody with this two people with the same exact symptoms. The same thing goes for their, um, their medication treatment, their therapies. I have close to 200 people in my Bridges for Parkinson's uh, program. As a matter of fact, there's a class going on right now on the other side of that wall. And none of them have had the same journey when it comes to medication. But the most common form of medication is carbidopa levodopa. And what happens is levodopa turns into dopamine when it gets into the, to the body. And that's what helps them become less rigid. It helps them to have better gait, but they're going to see 
um, there's going to be times where they're kind of what I call on a plateau and everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden there's a drop off and they've got to uh, reevaluate their medications. So sometimes doctors will put them on something called uh, in addition to carbidopa, levodopa, or cinnamet, or ritari, which are synthetic forms of the dopamine, they'll put them on something called a dopamine agonist, or maybe an MAOB inhibitor. Um, these medications are designed to make their, their approaching off time when they're getting ready to take the next carbidopa, levodopa, not quite so severe and make it last a little bit longer. The only problem is that these medications can have some incredibly tough side effects. So I always tell my people, my fighters, I call them fighters. I always tell my fighters, you need to update me on any new medication changes that you have because I can see sometimes in class or in a personal training session that they're not, you know, behaving their normal, their personalities changed a little bit, or maybe they're talking about their stomach being really upset. And sometimes they don't put two and two together. So it's very important for them to communicate with their fitness professional about the medications that they're on and for the fitness professional to at least read over the kind of medications they're taking because it does yeah. affect their bodies. Absolutely. Because medication, all medications have an impact on the brain, the body, the mindset. Um, a lot of them can drive anxiety, depression, the very symptoms. <clears throat> they knock out one symptom, excuse me, and then they, they bring on another symptom. So Colleen, you know, when I was listening to you talk, what I was really hearing is that from a Western medicine standpoint, the biggest way that we treat Parkinson's is through medication. And so not saying that's bad or that's good, that is powerful for those who have this, this mm -hmm. disease. But what comes to the forefront of my mind is exactly where we're going next, which is that's where exercise plays such a powerful role. Because when it comes to Western medicine, we're kind of limited. We get these diseases and these conditions and there are pharmaceuticals out there that can help. But what about the everyday activities of daily living that those with Parkinson's and those with any type of neurological disorder want to continue living their life with personal autonomy. So let's talk mm -hmm. about the connection between exercise and Alzheimer's disease. Um, how much can exercise play a role and how? An enormous amount. And if I can, just for a second, I want to actually back up and okay. tell you some really great information. Um, so there are people in my program who actually don't take any medication. They use more natural remedies. I had a gentleman who just returned from doing light therapy and it does wonders for him. They watch what they eat. They are very conscious about making sure they get their vitamins and their minerals and they do the light therapy and they exercise. Did so you say light as in light, light, okay. light, like yeah, vitamin D or what, what like the, you know, I'm going to have to ask him to be honest with you. I'm not sure what kind it is, but I do know that he goes for two weeks at a time. So he just got back uh, last week and um, he did two weeks of light therapy and I haven't actually seen him because I was out of town, but he said it, he said it helped tremendously, but you're right. Exercise 
is medicine in its own right. Recently, one of my fighters went to see his neurologist at Vanderbilt University. And this is really powerful when you talk about the role that fitness professionals play in people living with Parkinson's disease. The doctor, the movement disorder physician, told my fighter, I actually think that medicine, excuse me, I actually think that exercise may be more important in your Parkinson's journey than medication. Mm. That's pretty Yay. powerful. Don't you just yeah. kind of want to stop and take a pause? And have I every- said, <laughs> finally, <laughs> somebody's listening to me. <laughs> and and yes. really, finally, Western medicine is like, <laughs> let's come to the, let's cross the bridge together. You know, yes. mental health, um, yes. physicians, let's cross the bridge together. Let's meet in the middle. Let's use exercises and intervention. I love that. So yes, yes if, we could, if we could get a quote from that position, right? That's right. So to tell, you know, that just goes to, to support what we're doing. Now, if you don't mind, just repeat your question again, because I forgot. Nope. I got so excited about talking about the other Well, guy. I got excited too. So my question was, <laughs> you know, we, we were talking about how medication plays such a big part. And then you kind of went back and said, well, it does, but some some of your fighters have been able to alleviate medication and simply use exercise. So my question was what, you know, you can share maybe some of the research on how does exercise help those with Parkinson's? Um, we know exercise helps, but how specifically does it help those with Parkinson's? Absolutely. And fitness professionals, I encourage you to read up on research because people are going to come to you. I have one client who comes to me every single class and he's kind of joking now that, you know, that he asks me because we've been together for so long, but he'll go, why are we doing this again? (laughs) And so I say, because the research supports that exercise is medicine and here's what you can use. The University of Southern California did a research study not too long ago, and they found that using mice models, that exercise doesn't necessarily change the amount of dopamine that one has in their brain, but how efficient the dopamine is used throughout Hmm. their day. So I find that pretty critical. Because when we work them, and I'm going to be honest with you, I use a form called forced intense exercise, and you can study more about that under the Cleveland Clinic studies, where I push them to work harder than they would on their own. And we don't know whether the body um, necessarily releases more dopamine at the time of exercise, or maybe the body absorbs the the medication better while they're exercising. We, We haven't gotten that far yet, but we do know that the dopamine is used more efficiently, that the communication between synapses lasts longer, and it's a stronger connection. What does that mean for the person living with Parkinson's? Well, that means they can walk with a better gait, that they can move with more flexibility, not feel so rigid, that they can smile easier, they can remember to swallow because so many of their their, um, things that we do every day become involuntary, they're not autonomous anymore. So whatever is going on 
We're trying to get at it. Then our program, Bridges for Parkinson's, is actually doing a research project with Vanderbilt University, specifically Dr. Clausen. We are studying what goes on. How does the uh, glymphatic system clean out the amyloid, which is basically the trash in your, your brain, at mm -hmm. night when they're sleeping after taking one of our, our Bridges for Parkinson's classes, specifically our boxing class. And so we've got about another year before we're finished with that, but I've been hearing uh, some really good reports from the research department on that. So there's hope for people that if they will exercise and be very consistent, I'm not talking one, two days a week, I'm talking six days a week with a combination of you know, uh, forced intense exercise, like we do the boxing here, but then maybe throw in some Tai Chi or walking or running. And the more consistent they are, the better the results will be. Their dopamine will be more efficient. The synapses strength will be, the connection will be longer and they'll be able to do the things they enjoy to do. Well, and what I appreciate is that you're not only reading the research, but you're working with those who are doing the research. So you're working in collaboration. And one of the first things you said was go to your mentors, do the research. And now I hear you also say that you're working with those who are kind of forefront in the field and making sure that you're at the cutting edge so that when you design and develop your programming, you can offer the best of the best to your uh, Parkinson's fighters. So again, I'm talking to Colleen Bridges. She's a Parkinson's disease specialist. She wrote a course for MedFit. She spent 15 years working with those with Parkinson's disease. She's working with Vanderbilt University. So she's out there fighting the good fight for her fighters. And so Colleen, I heard you say that what exercise does is it not only increases your dopamine, but basically what I heard you say was it helps you to better use it throughout the day. So it's, it, you know, it doesn't just increase it, but we become more efficient at using that dopamine when we exercise. And one of the things that I was really curious to ask you about is you've done a lot with boxing and Parkinson's. So when it comes to types of exercise, you're looking at a girl who the one thing that I, I don't have any real um, knowledge of is boxing. I've tried it. And uh, when I was reading that, just from a just outside looking in, I was thinking, huh, I was trying to manage that one in my brain without doing any research. I'm like boxing. I'm thinking things like the crossbody movements. I'm thinking things like hitting a target. I'm thinking things like coordinated movement patterns. I'm thinking about um, the force intensity that you talked about. So tell us why boxing for Parkinson's. Mm. Yes, boxing is not usually the first thing people think of when their doctor says, you've just been diagnosed with Parkinson's. I encourage you to go join a boxing class. They, what? You want me to do what? <laughs> but here's the thing. And ESPN actually did a research study of their own long, long time ago, early 2000s, to to determine what is the most difficult sport out of 60 sports. Um, and boxing was number one. No wonder I don't do it. <laughs> and believe me, it is tough. It is tough. But everything that a professional boxer is training for just so happens to be the same things that somebody living with Parkinson's disease is struggling mm -hmm. to get with. So they're struggling with power. They're struggling yes. with speed. So like bradykinesia, they're struggling with mental focus. What was the combination? 
you know, having to think about and yeah. be able to organize their thoughts, memory, footwork, agility, let's see, strength. I think I've, I've named them all, but so those are all the things that we work on through our program. And we do a lot of other exercises and dynamic warmups as well, but boxing is kind of what brings most of the people that I work with into our program. And it's, unbelievable to watch them you can literally see the the wheels turning and the smoke coming out of their ears the first sure. uh, three or four sessions but it's it's pretty pretty amazing well coming from somebody who taught step for years and years and years i really appreciate that i appreciate what you're saying because it's so true the coordinated movement the footwork all of that i can just see that with boxing you're making me want to go on and join a boxing class so true story colleen i i was living in chicago and i decided that i needed to try boxing and i show up at this class and they had me like the the uh, ribbon to wrap around my hands. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't know how to wrap my hands. And then they find out that I'm new and another gal is new. And I was like, oh, this is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so one of us is supposed to like hold the bag while the other one tries to hit it. And, and she's kind of wild and random. And I'm like, I'm going to get punched. And so um, that may or may not have been one of my few boxing experiences. I'm like, please don't put the two newbies together ever. Um, but, Say you know, give it another shot. <laughs> yes. Well, I actually, I think I am after this because what mm -hmm. you're talking about is so true. You know, the agility, the footwork, the hand and the feet have to do something a little bit different, but synchronized and the memory with the patterning, it, it does remind me of step, but it, I think it's much more complicated in different ways. Um, right. You're using your upper and your lower body. Mm -hmm. So um, that's very cool. And, and so your program bridges for Parkinson's disease do you mostly focus on boxing or what is that then? Well, you know what? I realize that not everybody's going to go, oh, yay, I get to go, go box. <laughs> you know, there, there's some people who that's just not what they're going to do. Or maybe they have arthritis in their hands and it, the thought of hitting a bag or even hitting the mitts, is, it's just not what they want to do. So we do offer a variety of programs here. But like I said, the boxing program is the, the majority uh, of what people come to. But here's the thing. While I use boxing in our, our class. It's not what I do for an entire class. It is what I call an, a, very, a very important ingredient of this beautiful recipe. So fitness professionals, if you're not doing boxing, don't feel the pressure to do it, but I would encourage you to go learn the basics and just apply a few minutes of it into your program. You'll, you'll see the dramatic difference in their ability to process information. But, um, but we make sure that we include the seven foundational movements, so your lunge, your squat, um, hinge, and so forth. We also make sure that each routine includes the five components of fitness, so cardiovascular endurance, muscular and strength, uh, muscular strength and endurance, flexibility, body composition, all with progressive and regressive forms because a lot of these people are going to come into you and they have zero exercise experience. And so you're starting at the basis, ba basic form of the, of the exercise, but that's, that's okay because people living with Parkinson's disease go through what I call neurological or exercise phases. If you think about how, how you and I learned to move from birth to three, to three years old, we started with the rollover. 
And we did that rollover. Now, I don't remember it, but I remember watching my children roll over and over and over until we were ready for the next phase and so forth until we were chasing the family pet. Well, the same thing goes here with designing and implementing these exercise routines for people with living with Parkinson's. And I like to refer to the uh, Fitz and Posner, I hope I'm saying it correctly, 1967 research study that talks about the learning phases that we go through. And phase one, or stage one, as they call it, is the cognitive stage. And that's where the learner expends cognitive energy to understand how they're supposed to move. So when you're teaching somebody that, that's brand new, or maybe you're teaching them a new exercise, they've got to learn that basic form of the exercise first before progressing. It allows their brain to process the information, to accomplish the exercise with great form so they're not injuring themselves. And then stage two is going to be your associative stage. And that's where the learner has mastered the basic forms of the movement. And then they can refine that exercise. So talking about boxing, we, you know, in boxing, you move forward and back and sometimes side to side. Well, I notice because it's just a, a common trend that they, when it's time to move back, they just either lean back or they step back with one yeah. foot. So I break it down. All right, hands up. Let's move forward and back. And we talk about that. Then we add the hands. And while they're doing the punching and the moving forward and the back, I actually have them say the word, the words step back. So what happens is they speak it, they do it, and they also see me doing it with them. And it allows them to really cinch it and get it. And it's amazing to watch. It takes a couple of times. Uh, I usually tell my people, you want to give yourself six weeks to three months to allow the body to, and the brain to really start to connect that neuroplasticity to do its thing. And the results are amazing. So I, I want to kind of recap that a little bit. So I'm talking to Colleen Bridges. She is a Parkinson's disease specialist. We're talking about training clients with Parkinson's disease. I think Colleen, your information has been fantastic. And you talked about the seven basic movement patterns. You talked about, um, you know, still doing the cardiovascular, the flexibility, all of that. And now you're talking about how, when you're talking about learning stages, first, I have to understand what it is you want me to do. Right? right. And that's where right. I think that it, that trainers have to be really good at cueing and coaching. And they have to be especially good when they're working with somebody who has a neurological disease. And so yes. um, you have to make sure that they understand what they're supposed to do. And then you can break it down into piece by piece by piece. It becomes this is A, this is B, this is A plus B. Now we're going to add C. And so um, I like that. And I, I like the way that you're integrating the boxing into it. Um, if you, did you want to finish going through those stages or do you, cause I have a, I have a question for you about well, trainers in general. Yeah, no, the, the Fitz and Posner um, just shares those three stages, the cognitive stage where you're processing that information. And like I said, somebody with Parkinson's disease, usually one to two cues is all they can take at a time. Mm -hmm. And then the associative stage where they're refining and then the autonomous stage. Cause like I said, for you and me, there's so much that we do. I mean, I move my arm. I don't even think about it. They have to think about 
everything, even the words that they're trying to say to me. And so I have learned through much trial and error that I, I have to introduce them to a new exercise at its most basic form. And I do have a trick. So okay. every routine that we do has a warm up. I actually start with what I call the micro warm up. And that's where we start with the head and go all the way down to the toes. And we just move one part of the body at a time. And I try to do it in about five or six minutes. Then I move to my dynamic warm up. And that's where we're moving in multiple planes, multi joints, or, you know, exercises. Um, we're doing large range of motion, increasing that cardio output. But I do the routine, the warm up phase three times the first time they're going to learn it the second time is they're going to practice it third time is ta -da -da -da, the performance as i call yes, it the performance yay yes Everybody and there's like the performance yes and you can see um a dramatic difference between stage one two and three and it allows the person who is new to my class to not feel so overwhelmed like oh, okay good i've got another two rounds of this to perfect it and it allows me to make any modifications that are, are needed then what i do is i transition what we do in the warm-up to the work phase they're not two separate entities the warm-up is going to be repeated in some form or fashion. I and mean, it's not going to look exactly the same, of course, but we're going to repeat a lot of the movements that we did in the warm-up in the work phase. And that is critical. So what you know what that means, Angie, is it means we have to sit down and actually think about what each individual in our class, if you're doing group X class, I always say you have two two questions to ask yourself. What are your individual needs? And then what are your group needs? And mm -hmm. you've got to sit down and write that out. There is none of this pulling from here and from there. Oh, that right. looks cool. I'll do that. It's all got a transition from one um, part of the, from one phase to the other, because that's where you're going to get the most neurological benefit. And I've even started to this years ago, take the ADLs that are activities of daily living that we do all day. And I've made them into exercises. And I asked them, what ADLs are the most difficult for you to perform? And it might be as simple as, well, you know, reaching down into the dishwasher and then I got to rotate to put it up in the cupboard. So I create exercises around how they want to move and how they need to be able to move efficiently and without injuring themselves. So there's a lot of planning and I spend about four hours on this in my MedFit course. Right. Well, you know what I hear you say to fitness professionals is number one, first and foremost, don't wing it. This is not the class to use the cool moves. It's not the class to wing it. It's not the time to work with a client where you're, you're planning what you're going to do with them on the way to class or on the way to work with this client. What I really hear you say is, Let's take the everyday basics, the activities of daily living, the things like, like you said, putting dishes away, folding laundry, which actually oh, takes absolutely. a lot of coordinated movement, movement patterns. These things that we do every day that we take for granted, um, where we sort of multitask, where we're grabbing a towel at the same time that our other hand is putting something away. These are the things that those with neurological diseases, that's probably not an option. And so... 
what I really get out of this, Colleen, is first and foremost, if fitness professionals want to work with those with Parkinson's disease, they do need to get specialized training. And they, they also do. need to consider the stages of learning and they need to make sure that they're really breaking things down and taking them to success. Because what I hear about performance is that's success. You show me what I need to do. You give me the chance to practice it. And now you let me be successful. Please don't walk out of the room until I know I'm successful or I'm not going to want to come back. Right? Right. So, so Colleen Bridges, I really appreciate you coming on and talking Thank about you. Parkinson's disease and kind of helping fit pros to kind of understand what would it take to work with those with Parkinson's disease. But you mentioned early in the episode, you had 200 people in your class. So what that shows me is there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of those, a lot of people who are diagnosed, who are really looking for people like you who can work with those with special conditions. And so um, my hat goes off to you because, you know, I've seen up close and personal dementia related diseases. And I think we all need providers like you who have a real heart for the subject. Is there anything else you want to share before we go? Anything I might've missed where you're like, Angie, if you end this and I don't get to say this, I'm going to be upset. Well, I know MedFit would love for me to remind everybody that they can go to the MedFit classroom and you can take my course, the Parkinson's disease fitness specialist. But what I, what I think is important for fitness professionals to know is that you, you nailed it. You cannot just wing this. These precious fighters want to fight back. They want hope and hope is an anchor. It, it allows them to know I'm going to be okay. Parkinson's disease is not a death sentence, but that's not exactly how they feel when they walk out of the doctor's office. They feel as if their entire life has changed. They need fitness professionals who understand the disease, understand how to write a routine that is not only identifying their individual needs, but if they're in a group, also identifying the group needs and combining the two, but able to provide community and support and knowledge. So never stop learning, never stop digging. And if, one thing I tell people is when they take my class, I'm not just with you in those 12 and a half hours. I'm with you afterwards. I'm happy to meet with fitness professionals and visit with them on the phone or via Zoom. And they're able, they're welcome to watch one of my classes or a session, a private session. I'm here to help you because when I help you and we work together, our fighters come out the winners. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, that's the beauty of having a mentor is that if we have mentors who are willing to help us increase our knowledge and our platform, we do more for the community at large. We do more for people out there who really want to get well and get better through exercise. So Colleen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank Thanks to our thank NASM you. and APA um, audience for listening and we will see you next week. 